What's going on, everyone? Welcome to State of the Nova Nation presented by VU Hoops. I'm Pat Zhang. She's Emma Houghton. And of course, Emma is still on Olympic duty. So it is me riding solo on this Tuesday episode. No Eugene on this one. Hopefully we can get him uh, another time before the season ends. But it has been great talking to Eugene these last couple episodes. But back to me for this one. Hope everyone is doing well. I know I am after Villanova came away with a 73-67 to win over the Seton Hall Pirates to move to 19-6 and and 12-3 and in the conference. Before I go any further, I've got two very important shout-outs that I want to make sure I hit. First goes to the Wisconsin boys, uh, Conrad, Joey, Brendan, all you crew that came out. It was phenomenal to see you guys and you know Villanova always loves your support. Uh, and secondly, to uh, two listeners that I actually did meet at the game as well. Kristen and Michael had a phenomenal time uh, talking with you throughout the game. It was so cool meeting you. And um, thank you so much for listening as well as everyone else that is currently listening right now. But oof, that Seton Hall game, whenever the Pirates come to town, you know it's going to be a grind. You just know it. There is no way about it that it is not going to turn into a nail-biter. And we had it yet again here. Every single game since the second game of the 2019 season, or second matchup, I should say, of the 2019 season uh, against Seton Hall has been decided by 10 points or less. It's just, it is a habit. It is a ritual at this point that when these two teams phase off against each other, no matter what the circumstances were, think back to just January 1st, you know, six weeks ago when Seton Hall was very undermanned uh, dealing with injuries and COVID and things like that. And they still found a way to keep it very, very close until the end. And, and Nova only won by six. They are of course a six point win here as well. Of course, as I say, you know, the, the second matchup of the 2019 season, well, what was the game that was not a 10 point not decided by 10 points. I'm going to throw my subtle shot in there. Villanova actually won the first game or the first matchup of the 2019 season against Seton Hall by 28, where Phil Booth had 25 points and hit seven threes on the way to fuel the Wildcats to that win. And man, with how this team is constituted, wouldn't it be nice to have a shooter like Phil Booth to add in seven threes? You know, I, I've thought about where I wanted to start with this game, this rock fight of sorts that it really felt like throughout it and and where I know I want to go because it has been a theme throughout the season it's been talked about on Nova teams of of past years and and it has popped up again this year is Villanova took a sucker punch and was down on the mat when Nova went up 45 to 41 and Seton Hall comes out of that on an 11-0 run I wasn't feeling great. <laughs> I, I definitely was not being in the stands with my dad uh, at the Wells Fargo Center. Uh, it's I know this team, uh, their resolve can be questioned at times. You know, do they have the ability when things get really tough? And, and honestly, when they need to score points, are they going to be able to go out there and do it? And we saw them do it on Saturday. And I think that is the most promising thing that I saw. And it is my biggest takeaway from this game is that Villanova, as I said, got punched down on the mat and they got straight back up and threw a counter punch and an even bigger punch than they received. Nova then goes out on a 9-0 run through Slater, Moore, and Samuels to put themselves back, you know, back into the game and back on top where they were able to, to close it out. 
I mentioned closing. I don't even think I can go any further than I already have without talking about closing. Another theme that we have touched on oh so many times uh, this season where we know all about Villanova's struggles in the last 10 minutes of games. We especially know about Villanova's troubles in the last 10 minutes of games against quality opponents, and Seton Hall does put themselves in that bracket. Uh, And what did Villanova do? In the final 10 minutes, the fourth quarter, as Ken Palm would put it, well, they outscored Seton Hall by 11 points, 26 to 15, which is very, very impressive. But where I go further is game management. And, you know, it is was such a stark contrast on Saturday compared to the, we'll say very nicely, train wreck (laughs) that happened at Madison Square Garden on Tuesday where Villanova seemed like they weren't sure what to do with the ball down the stretch. They made some very questionable decisions. They put the ball up uh, early in the shot clock. They turned it over late. That did not happen here at home at Wells Fargo. And the biggest or longest stretch of that where I was most impressed was Villanova receives the ball up to with a minute and four seconds left in the game. Seton Hall does not get that ball back until 15 seconds are left. They ran down most of the clock from 104 down to 15 and added on two more points to make it a two possession game there. Yes. It came in with some good ball management, you know, at the top of the key, just, just holding it out, which was completely fine in that situation. And of course, two huge, just monumental offensive rebounds for the cats there as well. So just to see that type of gritty performance and I'll get into gritty performances um, uh, a little bit later, the, the closing, the getting back up, that is so promising for this team because it can become a focus at times. Does Nova have the ability to score in, score in spurts? Does Nova have the ability to see out games? And this wasn't even just a seeing out of the game. This was coming back, taking the lead, and then finishing the job. So putting all of those together against a team that will just grind you into the ground like Seton Hall, oh, I, I'm super, super impressed. And, and for people out there, you know, thinking about the Big East and thinking about the matchups that are out there, pound for pound for me, this is the best rivalry in the conference as currently constituted. I know you can have some good ones. Listen, even you just look at Villanova, of course, Georgetown is the historical rival. The UConn games are a ton of fun. But, yeah, you know, St. John's Georgetown's always been a rivalry for a long time. You can go matchup per matchup per matchup here. As we currently sit, I do not think there is a better rivalry in this conference than Villanova and Seton Hall. And we saw it again. Listen, that game was fiery on Saturday. Kevin Willer got a technical. It was a lot of physicality in the game. Jay Wright was probably lucky to avoid a technical um, towards the end of the game there. I have a feeling that wasn't called just because it was so close and it was so deep into the game. Uh, Make that of what you will about officiating. But I, I do think that that was most likely the case there. Uh, this is a matchup that fires everyone up. And I know the crowd at Wells Fargo was, you know, a ton of fun and really into it. There are plenty of pirates fans there, which would probably surprise nobody uh, and a a very, very cool atmosphere, but okay. Let's get into it a a little more than looking at that first half where Seton Hall did go into the locker room with a lead. You know, they were really dangerous from three. And it was super impressive because this Seton Hall team is not exactly a, a knockdown type three point team. Miles Kale really impressed me coming out and knocking down some big threes there. They only shoot 33% 
as a team from beyond the arc. And they finished at 50% in the first half at just seven or not just seven. I would not, would not mean that, but at seven for 14, which is of course a, a very, very healthy clip, especially while Villanova struggled to find any sort of footing, especially from the three point line. And especially early where they only went three for 12 in the first half where Seton hall let themselves down was that they had nine first half turnovers when they shot as hot as they did kind of coming out of the gates and really throughout the first half, giving Villanova the opportunity to stay in this game with what felt like a lot of self-inflicted turnovers from them and a lot of just really mind-numbing turnovers at times. It allowed Nova to stay in this game, and and that was so important where it was, of course, very manageable at just three going into halftime when I think Seton Hall did outperform Nova in that first half, but it was because Seton Hall just couldn't get out of their own way at times. They finished with 14 turnovers, so they certainly did cut things down in the second half, but you know, when you have the opportunity to, to step on a team's throat or to really put some distance between you, you have to do it. And, and they weren't able to. And it's part of why I don't fully buy into this Seton Hall team, fully understand that Bryce Aiken was out and he is so important to how this offense functions. But I, I just I don't know if they have the full on killer instinct or ability to come away with some of these bigger wins because I, I don't fully trust them. And I think we saw that here uh, as well on Saturday. If we do talk about a player for Seton Hall that I was unbelievably impressed with, it was Alexi Yetna, uh, who has come in, you know, a transfer from, I believe it was South Florida and has made such an impact and made an impact early. He was dominant on the boards. He's not Ike Obiagu at seven foot two. He's listed at six foot eight. He came down with 15 rebounds. It's the second most rebounds he's had all season, only topped by 16 in a game against Marquette. And I thought defensively, I was really impressed with his presence on the interior. As I just said, he made a, a huge mark on this game with how he was on the boards, which was a place where Seton Hall actually was out rebounding Villanova pretty healthily for a long portion of the game, but it didn't turn out that way at the end. Uh, Seton Hall only ended up out rebounding Villanova by one, which again, I think a part of that was that Villanova started to really grab some boards towards the end of that game. The offensive rebounds were really helped swing this thing and make sure it stayed uh, in the cat's corner. But for, for Seton Hall, a team that is so stacked in that front court, Ike Obiagu, who was really good on the defensive side, you know, he forced a lot of difficult shots from Villanova when they were getting into the paint only coming down with three rebounds is a little strange for someone that's seven foot two. I understand he only played 17 minutes and rebounds certainly do not tell the full story, but that, that was a little odd there for Seton hall. Um, They're, they're an interesting team they really are. They have the ability to hurt you. We saw that in the first half, but I don't, I don't have my trust that they can really make damage. Um, when things, uh, when things get difficult. Now, the other part of where Villanova really turned this game, and it's something that I have harped on all season when it comes to Nova, it's exploiting the free throw line. There is no team in the country that shoots a higher percentage from the foul line than Villanova. What can they do? Get to the line, put your shooters in that opportunity. You're going to be able to stack up points, even on an offense 
that I'll touch on in a little bit. And I've touched on many times this season. I still don't love, and even Jay Wright in his press conference had said that they haven't been able to find rhythm and really be consistent and be able to hurt teams in a bunch of different ways. So by when Villanova is able to get to the foul line, they can hurt teams and really start to pull away. In the first half, there were just two free throw attempts from Villanova. It's not a huge coincidence that they went in at halftime down three when they only got to the line for two attempts. In the second half, Villanova pulls away a little bit. Villanova finishes with a win. They had 14 free throw attempts. I'm telling you people, the most important thing with this Villanova team this year is can they put their shooters in a position to get to the foul line? It it is what sets this Villanova team apart from so many other teams around the country is that they are absolutely lethal from the charity stripe. They just need to make sure that they are getting there and getting there often to be able to make up for some of their offensive deficiencies. I think that's a pretty nice segue then into talking about the Villanova offense. It still isn't pretty, uh, especially from three. You know, we saw some pronounced struggles out there uh, on Saturday afternoon, just 31% from beyond the arc, but they found a way to grind and grit, which is something you probably have already heard me say a couple of times and will continue to hear me say, because that is the easiest and best way I can think of to classify that game. Uh, they were able to grit it out. Um, and especially from their leaders in, in Colin and, and Justin, who of course are the offensive focal points for this team, they combined for 26 and they did so with being compromised. Both of them dealing with ankle injuries. Colin, I still believe hasn't practiced since he did get hurt against the UConn game. And Justin, if he has, has been a limited participant. So for Justin to finish with 16, Collins to finish with 10, that's a really big deal. And again, that was also part of why Nova went into the breakdown is because Justin Moore only had two points and Gillespie wasn't able to get in any sort of rhythm yet. And what Seton Hall did really well was try to take away Eric Dixon. That is a point I will talk about in just a few minutes here. But for Justin to then explode and to do 14 in the second half, hit a massive, massive three-pointer uh, as well down the stretch that really helped Villanova uh, close this thing out. That's so important. And I just, I think it shows the toughness and the ability and how Justin Moore and Colin Gillespie truly epitomize, you know, Villanova basketball and what this program is trying to be for them to go out there against a team that, you know, is going to, is going to be super physical against you defends really well. Uh, it's not exactly a great game to go out there on, on a bad ankle. And for the two of them to be able to combine for 26, really impressive uh, on the part of the offense for where things are going well. And as much as I've hammered home, how much the free throw line is important to Villanova. I also talk about this, you know, with them being a two-point team, they really are a two-point team now. They outscored Seton Hall, a team that has so much forward depth and so much ability to try and hurt you from inside with Jackson, with Roden, with Obiagu, with Samuel, with Yetna. They outscored them 32-20 to 20, uh, in the paint, which, again, I think shows the leaps and bounds strides that Villanova has made. Yes, they were still around the three-point line a ton, as I said. They, they struggled from it, but they threw up a lot of threes in that game with 26 attempted and only made eight of them. They killed Seton Hall on the glass and uh, on the interior, excuse me. And that's what made the difference here today was Brandon Slater being inside, was Jermaine Samuels, who had a very strong game, and I'm very happy to be able to say that. Uh, you know, Eric Dixon still finished with 10 points, and though he, it wasn't his 
the before or say it wasn't the performances we've seen the last couple, but I'm not sure we can fully expect that from Eric every single game. Um, that's where Nova's hurting teams. Is it's the free throw line. It is from underneath the basket, and they continued to do so again. I did mention a little bit about Seton Hall's turnovers. This was a part where I I liked what I saw from Nova, and I want to continue to see more of this because this is not the case too often, especially this season. They outscored Seton Hall 22-8 to on points from turnovers. When Seton Hall turns the ball over 14 times in a game, you got to make them pay. You just got to do it, and so often – Villanova does not make teams pay that turn the ball over. Yes, a part of that is because they don't like to run on the fast break, but a part of it is that it's just not a super lethal offense. And here they were able to make them pay for their mistakes, turn them into points, which was, of course, a you know a, a huge deciding factor. And again, that was only a six-point game when you outscore them 22 to eight with the turnovers being so big. You know, you know how much that played into it. So that's exciting to see. It's something I want to see. Nova continue to grow at as they progress through this big East schedule, uh, because it is so important just to, you know, a team can turn the ball over, but if you do nothing with it, it, great. You took away a shot attempt, I guess, from them, but you got to be able to convert. And they did that on Saturday to give Seton Hall their props. Cause I, I really did want to focus on this because I thought this was uh, a phenomenal piece of game planning from Kevin Willard was his defensive strategy against Eric Dixon, especially saw it a little bit against Slater and, and even a bit against Caleb Daniels too, for the drives, but Eric Dixon, they shaded him left. The, it, the secret has kind of gotten out that Dixon is, is very uh, reliant on the left side and going to his left hand. Of course, he still has the ability to score and score through it. And we know how good he is there, but they very clearly keyed in on knowing that he was most likely going to go to the left. Now he did spin back to the right a couple of times, which I think is great to see, especially from a younger player, you know, uh, adjusting mid game and understanding what opponents are doing to him. But I think that certainly contributed to what was a bit of a quieter game from Eric Dixon, though he still put up double digits than what we've been seeing lately. And the other thing that Seton Hall did on Eric Dixon, which I have not seen many teams do at all, they were not afraid to bring a double team on him. They, they were not. He saw a couple of them uh, throughout throughout this game. And I actually think you're going to see that happen more throughout this season because Villanova has kind of continued to prove that they're not a great three-point shooting team. So maybe it is not going to hurt you as much as it would have in past years if you run off of a shooter and come in and try and collapse around the paint where Nova continues to do all this really good work. So just something to look at. As, uh, as these games continue, I'm certainly interested to see if Ed Cooley does the same thing on Tuesday when we talk through some Providence. And then two more points before we can move on to the Friars around the Big East and all that good stuff. Um, if you listen to the show and you've listened all year, you know there are two players that I'm particularly hard on. One of them is Jermaine Samuels. One of them is Chris Archidiacono for different, differentiating reasons for, for the two of them. They both really came through on Saturday. And as someone that is, can be hard on the two of them, I could not have been happier to see what I did. Yes. Jermaine shot five threes and I don't like it. Um, he's down to, I believe 23 or 24% from beyond the arc, but what Jermaine really did is he was aggressive. He was around the basket. He blew the roof off the place with his big dunk. 
That's what I want to see from Jermaine Samuels. Jermaine Samuels is so physical and so athletic and, you know, is a decent post player and has the ability to make an impact down there. I, I know he loves the, you know, the, the shot fake and, and staying out at the three-point line. I want to see him continue to really just make a living down there because he is so much more dangerous closer to the basket than he is farther away. It's okay. We know where he is at this point. We've seen that the three-point shot has regressed. Instead of continuing on with that, let's just evolve and turn into more of that post player. That's what Brandon Slater is doing a lot more now too. Yes, he was hitting threes earlier in the season, but you're not seeing him take too many threes anymore. It's more Slater just trying to get to the basket, knowing he can make an impact there. I want to continue to see that from Jermaine Samuels. I thought he was doing that over the weekend and it was huge. He finished with a team high tied with Justin Moore, 16 points. Most of those points, you know, coming on two point field goals as he did make one three, um, but the six others were from two. And the other one, as I said, Chris Archidiacono, you know, we know he can have his limitations. Uh, just Eugene and I, what on earlier this week, we're, we're talking about what we expected to see from him minutes wise and it's kind of how that was going to shift after what was a very, very rough performance against St. John's. He comes out there. He only plays three minutes, but what he did w- with that three um, towards the end, I was a shocked that he shot it and be really surprised that it went in, but he actually got me to, uh, to jump off my feet once that, uh, or get on my feet and jump, uh, once that ball went through the hoop, I was so excited to see him bury that to, for him to still have the confidence to be able to put up that shot. I think that goes a long way. Cause I would not have expected it. Uh, and uh, that was super impressive, it, it, you know, a great moment for Chris and you hope that's a building point, especially on the comp confidence side for the offensive side of the ball, because it's been a struggle. Yes. Whenever, when he was in for those limited minutes, Kevin Willard and Seton Hall went directly at him every single time. And that is part of why I, I am concerned about uh, extended playing time for him. Of course, three minutes would not be considered extended playing time, but we don't need to harp on the, on the defensive inefficiencies or anything. I want to celebrate the three because it was a huge shot in a game where Villanova really needed it. And he stepped up and knocked it down. So good for you, Chris. We, you know, that was a very, very cool moment. And uh, honestly, it's one of my favorite moments of the season, as I say that and look back. Before we move on, one more thing, you know it has to be talked about because we talk about it every single game and it it really came up here. Oh, that bench distribution. Um, <laughs> so Caleb Daniels did play 29 minutes. Not surprising. That's usually where he is anyway. Colin Gillespie returned to 36 minutes after playing 26 against St. John's, so certainly ramped up there. But only seven minutes combined between Brian Antoine and Chris. Jordan Longino did not get into the game. Um, I, I have to say I was disappointed that Longino didn't get into the game. If it was for injury reasons, obviously completely understandable, but otherwise that is a player with his athleticism, a, a couple minutes is, is not going to kill you there. I, I, I was definitely not thrilled to, to see that. And for Brian Antoine, a guy that continues to, you know, miss so much time, come back, try and get into a rhythm. I can only imagine how difficult it is for him to get into that rhythm when you play three, four, five minutes a night, it's got to be hard, you know, to try to make an impact and and stamp yourself in a game. He did knock down a corner three, which I thought was good because he has struggled from three this season. He didn't really have time out on the floor to make an impact on defense, which is something he's done multiple times since he did come back for the injury. Um, Yes, Villanova won this game. That's the most important thing. 
But what we saw here was we saw Jay revert to what he's comfortable with, and that's playing six guys and and only seven minutes with uh, you know Chris and Brian, and then no minutes at all for Longino. So he basically stuck with a six man rotation. It, it just it it gives me pause and it makes me nervous down the stretch here because I've talked about it so many times about how I'm not sure how sustainable that is going to be, but. We'll have some more opportunities to see what that bench rotation is going to look like very quickly against some high quality opponents, especially on Tuesday nights. But sweet, I think that wraps up everything I wanted to do for Seton Hall. In the end, it's a big win. It's an important win for Villanova because it still keeps some some space between those teams that have some more losses uh, in the in the Big East Conference like your UConn Creighton sitting there at five right now, Villanova still on three losses. And of course, most importantly, it keeps you right in the game with the Providence Friars who they will be playing on Tuesday nights. Give you as much heads up as possible. It is on CBS sports. So just make sure you're ready and not surprised when you try to go to FS one and it is not there. It is a CBS sports game. The Providence Friars are currently sitting at 21 and two 11 and one in the conference and what has been quite frankly a a pretty magical season for Providence so far this season Uh, their only losses against Marquette in conference which was a blowout loss uh, 88 to 56 as well as a loss early in the season in November to Virginia they have not lost since they have some very quality wins this season like wins over Wisconsin Northwestern, Texas Tech in conference, you know, UConn, Seton Hall, Xavier, Marquette, they've been there, they've done it. Uh, So as I said, Providence sitting at 21 and two, though, what you do look at is the analytics, which of course, you know, I love, you know, Emma loves as well. We are Ken Palm disciples for sure. The analytics do not rate this Providence team very highly. And just by me uttering that, I'm sure I will get a couple Providence friends tweeting at me because they are very, very uh, wound up about these analytics where they're ranked only 48th in Ken Palm's rankings. And I think part of that is the margin of victory that we've seen in a lot of games from them this season. They've played some super, super close games. But I guess you can look at the bottom line that when it's all said and done, they just win. And they've just continually just won, but they've had close calls throughout the year. You know, four points over UConn, five points over Seton Hall, uh, eight points over Georgetown, seven points over Butler, three points over Xavier, two points over Marquette, four points over St. John's, three points over DePaul in overtime on Saturday. They play a ton of close games. The difference being they've been able to find a way to win every single one of them. Other than, of course, the two, but they were they were blown out in those two, so they weren't close games. Looking then at this team for Providence, Al Durham came in as a transfer from Indiana and has really steadied the ship after David Duke left. He's done a, a great job uh, as a ball uh, ball handler for them. Uh, he's hit some big shots. He's really important to everything that this team does, especially late. You are going to see the ball in Al Durham's hands. I have really enjoyed watching him for the Friars. I think the impact that he's made for Ed Cooley kind of being a leader out there on the floor has been super important. He's one of the driving factors. Why Providence is currently sitting at 21 and two Uh, Nate Watson and Noah Horkler in the front court is physical as hell and and really impressive to watch. And on Horkler, he shoots 42% 
from three. So this is a big man that really has the ability to stretch the floor. Not only is he shooting 42% from three, he leads the entire conference in rebounds per game as well. I believe it's at 8.3, but I'm quoting that off the top of my head. So I may have that one wrong. Um, Horkler is really good. Another transfer as well here. So Cooley certainly has worked the transfer market uh, as I go to a soccer reference, but the transfer portal um, over these past couple seasons to build up this team. And you really see it because they are so experienced. I I believe even just a week ago, Ed Cooley was joking about how his team may be older than the uh, Oklahoma city thunder. (laughs) And it certainly is possible as they are the ninth most experienced team in the country as according to Ken Palm. And if you look at the players that are really going to feature for them, I will read you their class years. Nate Watson, senior, Al Durham, senior, Noah Horkler, senior, Jared Bynum, junior, AJ Reeves, senior, Justin Manaya, senior, Ed Crosswell, senior. It's a lot of senior citizens on this team. This is an older Big East team. This is an experienced Big East team. This is a team that knows what Ed Cooley wants. And I think it has kind of turned into a perfect storm for them where they've been able to come away with these close uh, wins because they're all on the same page and they've all been there and done that. And it's been, it has been impressive to watch as part of it is still shocking. The fact that they're sitting at 21 and two and have been able to come out with all of those wins. Nate Watson, of course you have to focus on, he hasn't been as big of a factor this season as I would have thought Nate Watson was going to just, you know, knowing what he's done in the past, but he's still really, really tough. He's going to be a difficult matchup for Eric Dixon, who he'll probably be matched up because, you know, Watson gives you more of the traditional center vibes. Well, I still think Sonogo is the best center uh, in the conference. Nate Watson is right there as well, can certainly hurt you on the boards. We know all about the physicality. He is a physical freak if you just take a look at the guy um, and is a big part of what Providence does. And then there's Jared Bynum, who is on an absolute tear right now. Uh, 25 points, 32 points, and 19 points in his last three games. He has really grown up for Ed Cooley this year. And uh, again, you, you add all of these ingredients together. This is not a one-man team. This is not someone where you just focus in on and try and take away that guy and see if the others just aren't, you know, aren't able to make up for it. This is a team, and this is a team that works really, really well together. This is a team that distributes their scoring very well together, and this is a team that's dangerous, as we said, sitting atop the Big East right now. Uh, it, it's so impressive because – I don't think this team jumps off the page if you just looked at them. But as I said, they continue to find ways to win. They've done so with really solid three-point shooting. They shoot 37% as a team from beyond the arc. That is second best in the conference right now. Just to think about what they're doing as well, they're sixth in the conference in scoring, but it doesn't matter because you know their, their defense is third. Uh, it's just, that's what I come to. I'm so impressed i'm stumbling over my words because it's such a weird team to talk through that they are at the top of the big east that they continue to win games because it feels like when you look at them they shouldn't but here they are and what it all does is it leads to a massive monumental game on tuesday night at the dunk a really difficult place to play a place where villanova has had some issues in past years and they control their own destiny here where if villanova comes in and knocks off providence there's no reason why Nova can't finish out with a Big East regular season title and why Nova can't be a one seed going into the Big East tournament. And so that's part of why you look into this game. It's such a big one. And then before I close, 
Oh, I, ha- I had to hit the big number. The number that sends Providence fans into an absolute frenzy, but, and I've kind of alluded to it through some of this, but it just, it has to be said on Ken Palm, they do have one of the numbers, how they track teams is their luck efficiency. And the Providence Friars are number one in that luck efficiency titled by Ken Palm as the luckiest team in America this season. And how that is defined is the measure of deviation between a team's actual winning percentage and what one would expect from its game by game efficiencies just for uh, your own context. As I said, Providence is at one considered the luckiest team in the country. Villanova clocks in at 150. part of its luck, part of its experience, part of it's just, the tear that they've been on. And I'm sure a part of it's coaching because I love Ed Cooley. He's one of the best coaches in the conference. And I hope he stays at Providence for a very long time because the conference is better for it. All of that adds into a matchup that I am so unbelievably excited to watch. I'm sure many of you are very excited to watch it as well. And I do think Villanova come Tuesday night, a little late Tuesday night, because I think it's an eight or an eight 30 tip. I think they walk out of the dunk with the win. I really do. I think they're going to find a way with Colin and Justin being a couple more days healthy. I love what I'm seeing from this team defensively, Uh, you know, get to the free throw line, continue to attack inside, just like they did against Seton Hall. You would have thought they wouldn't, they weren't going to be able to hurt the hall from inside. Guess what? They did it. Go out there and do it again against a team with another really strong front court key in on Bynum. See what you can do there. I think Nova wins this game on Tuesday. We can hold it against me when we <laughs> when I record on Thursday if things go the opposite way. But that's what I'm looking for. I'm really pumped for this game, and uh, it's going to be awesome. I'm sure everyone else is really excited as well. We can move into then around the Big East here. Before I'm going to close with actually some uh, some extra questions that we got that were supposed to be meant for Thursday's episode that I just wasn't able to hit because I had finished recording already and some came in late. It's been a wacky week in the Big East, a wacky weekend in the Big East. And I think things start there with Friday night, as I I talk about all the time, how much I love the Big East Friday night games. We've got another good one this past week with Xavier coming away with a 74 to 68 win over UConn. I certainly thought the Huskies were going to go into Centos and put together a really important road win. Xavier's been struggling of late. They had lost four of six coming into this, including a really bad loss against DePaul. Jack Nungie propelled them with 22 and nine. They held Sonogo to just 11 points and six rebounds. Uh, not too many days after he put up, I believe, a 25 point and 15 rebound uh, performance. And this was huge for Xavier, a team, as I said, that had been struggling of late to be able to put together a win. Yes, it was at home, but still against a very, very dangerous Big East foe. Um, that's huge. And I'd be now interested to follow if Xavier is able to get back on track already mentioned that Providence had the just bizarre game at home at the tunk where DePaul almost was able to come away with the win. But of course, Providence closed things out in overtime. Creighton beat George down by 14. There is nothing to touch on in that game. And then the most shocking results of the weekend, Butler takes down Marquette you know, riding what was a 40 to 20 start. And then Marquette came on very hot in the second half. Marquette put up 52 points in the second half and still lost by six here. Um, shock is basically how I look at it. I we know that Butler has some Hinkle magic. God, we know it as Villanovans. We see it way too often for our liking. 
but they're able to pull it off here. You know, Bryce Golden, Bryce Enzi, Bo Hodges all had really good games. Justin Lewis went off again for Marquette. I'm going to keep repeating it. The man is going to be a first round pick. He is such a stud. He's got a chance at Big East player of the year, but you know, Daryl Morsell really wasn't able to get into things and, I, I cannot believe that. Just the wackiness of this conference this year. Uh, Butler finds a way to beat Marquette. As I record this, UConn and St. John's are playing right now. Uh, I, as I said, I don't have a final score there, but was certainly interested to see how that thing plays out. It's not a huge start to the week in the Big East until you hear me again uh, on Thursday. Of course, the massive game is Villanova-Providence that I just talked through at 8 p.m. on Tuesday. And then Wednesday night, Another one I will be watching, Seton Hall, UConn. Of course, Seton Hall now trying to rebound here. UConn, as I said, just lost a tough one uh, against Xavier and playing St. John's uh, as I speak <laughs> right now. Um, that's a, a big game for both these programs to try and get back on track for what has been kind of a bit of an up and down stretch for the two of them. So some good games this week. Of course, Nova's got the crown on uh, on Tuesday and Let's do it because this conference has just been so much fun to follow throughout the season. All right, we've got one more segment then to take things through here. Usually I would be done after going around the Big East, but as I said, we did have some questions come in. So I want to make sure I hit them from last week and we'll do a full mailbag for the second episode this week. But two questions kind of centered around the same thing, and I did touch on it a little earlier. But from T. Holmes, you know, big rush to get Trey Patterson on board. Why isn't he getting any playing time? And from Gill as well, why aren't the kids, including Trey Patterson, playing more? Um, it's a question we've looked at multiple times throughout the season, and I'm still not sure I can give you a full answer for it. I am disappointed that Trey Patterson hasn't gotten more minutes uh, throughout the season. I wouldn't say it was a big rush to get him on board. I think that was more Villanova and Trey Patterson very intelligently took advantage of certain circumstances that were able to get him on campus early and get him acclimated and get him inclined into the program, which I only see as a good thing moving forward. Yes, I would have thought we, because of that, we would have seen some more dividends a little earlier in his time, meaning seeing him play throughout the season, but it, it just hasn't happened. And I think what really did it was early in the season when he did get into games especially on the defensive side, he didn't look like he fully, uh, you know, un understood the system. I, I know he got lost in a couple coverages. And as we've seen, Jay has no problem pulling people um, when they're not able to, to fully execute out there. And I think that's what it saw. You know, you can say it's not fair that those things have been held against him, but of course, you know, Jay sees him in practice every single day as well. So well, I, I totally understand the Trey Patterson talk here. I really am more disappointed at the fact that Jordan Longino did not get into a very important game against Seton Hall at home uh, on Saturday. That just, he needs to play and he needs to continue to, uh, to grow and, and be able to impact the game because he's got all of the tools to be able to do so. We even see a couple threes start to drop from him. I, I want his growth to continue to flourish. I don't want it to be stunted in any way. Another question coming in here from Craig. Uh, oh, it's a good question because it's one I think about too. What five players need to be on the court in the final minutes of a close game? And this kind of stemming from the St. John's game. Listen, you know Colin Gillespie and Justin Moore are going to be out there. That's a given. So that gives you three spots left. I lean to, of course, part of it depends on, on if you're chasing or if you're closing. But 
I will say then I would go with, of course, Moore and Gillespie. I do think Caleb Daniels deserves to be out there. I think then you go with one of two of either Slater and Samuels. And for me, for me, I say Brandon Slater because I love his athleticism. I love his defensive prowess. And if he has to go to the free throw line, I trust Brandon Slater to knock down a, uh, a free throw more than I trust Jermaine Samuels. And I would put Eric Dixon out there. And why I put Eric Dixon out there, again, goes to the free throw line where I do trust him there. And I think he gives them a body underneath the basket. There is 100% an argument to be made to put Samuels in over Dixon. Honestly, I wouldn't be too upset if Samuels is in over Dixon. I think that makes a lot of sense. But that's how I would look at it for the close. It's not an easy question. I don't think there's a perfect answer to it. But that's where I would go. And then finally, from our man, Jerry, um, I know we kind of hit uh, your other two questions basically on the last show, but the third one's a fun one. So that's why I'm going to close with it. Where are you planning to travel in 2022 for fun or vacation? And you know, Jerry, you made me think, where am I going to travel for fun or vacation? I can tell you that Hilton Head is my uh, Hilton Head, South Carolina, uh, to clarify, is my absolute favorite uh vacation spot or travel spot. I'm hoping to get down there at some point over the summer, uh, you know, living by campus. I do come back to New York a, a decent amount because I am from Long Island originally, uh, possibly have a trip to Florida in there at some point. Uh, I, I'm trying to go to every baseball stadium. So maybe, maybe a new trip in the summer. I know I've thought about Texas uh, to try to hit one of those stadiums down there, or, or maybe go back to the Midwest so we'll see. We'll see. Still trying to figure some things out. I can't say I have anything really exciting set in stone, um, but that's kind of what we're thinking about. I did go to a Notre Dame football game out in Notre Dame um, in uh, this past September. Would love to go back out there again, too. So that's a couple of things off the top of my head. But thank you, Jerry, for making me think about it, because I really do need to figure out what I'm doing travel. <laughs> but OK, that'll do it uh, for us here on the State of Nova Nation presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out VU Hoops for the recap on this Seton Hall game, as well as more content to get you ready for the big bout against Providence. As you listen to this tonight, uh, super, super excited to watch that one. Be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and follow us on Twitter at S-O-N-N pod. I'll be back at it on Thursday, Nova Nation. Enjoy the game on Tuesday. Have an awesome week. I'll talk to you in a little bit. I'm not so bad.